John Ryan is a speaker, author, entrepreneur, founder and CEO of Healthy Place to Work. He has spent more of his working life consulting with multinational organizations in the areas of trust, health, well-being and organizational transformation, leading the Great Place to Work Institute in Ireland for 10 years. Formerly a broadcast journalist and expert trainer, John is a regular media contributor and international speaker on topics including organizational health, resilience and sustainability. Make Work Healthy is the title of his recent book, who, which he co-authored with Dr. Michael Bruxel and which is published by Willey. Hi, John. So nice to be with you today here. How it's great you? to be with you. All right. Uh, I was really looking forward to this uh, conversation with you because the previous time that we had you know, this uh, catch-ups, we had a fruitful conversation. And uh, I was, uh, again, looking forward to this, uh, to this episode because there are a lot of interesting stuff that uh, uh, we have about our uh, visitors and our guests. So, uh, before we start, uh, tell us a bit about uh, you. Where were you before? How did you came up with uh, the idea of what you are doing now? And um, yeah. Sure. Um, well, first of all, uh, Spiros, thank you so much for uh, the opportunity uh, to be uh, chatting with you today. Um, I, I have to say I've been to Greece on a number of occasions and I've always found it absolutely spectacular. Um, the people are so, so nice and, and welcoming. I think there's a, a lot um, between Irish and uh, Greek people that we have in common. Uh, I think we're very passionate about our families and uh, the like. Um, I've never actually been to Cyprus. That's the, uh, I know uh, you're very passionate about that, but uh, maybe, maybe soon, hopefully. But so um, I, I suppose um, just to, to sort of say for, for 10 years, I led an organization called the Great Place to Work Institute. Um, in Ireland, they publish lists all over the world. It's uh, based out of San Francisco. And um, the, the model that they use to assess workplaces is one based on trust. Uh, so it's looking at the, the trust of the employees in that organization, whether or not they believe that the leadership are credible, respectful and fair, and whether or not they have a lot of pride and camaraderie. Um, and I would have uh, done a lot of consultancy with organizations all over the world and uh, delivered a lot of training courses all over the world and I thoroughly enjoyed that. It was fantastic um, because when you can take an organization from low trust to high trust and see the performance of that organization follow, it's, it's quite good. Um, I suppose you asked the question about um, how did I come up with the idea for um, a healthy place to work? Well, correct. What, did, what was that inspired you to, to start? Uh, yeah. It, it found me rather than I found it, uh, to be honest. I, I was in um, New Orleans at a, a conference and there was a Stanford professor called uh, Jeffrey Pfeffer. Um, and Jeffrey has since become a good friend. But at the time, he put up a slide on a PowerPoint presentation and it said, workplaces are killing people and worse, nobody cares. And I remember 
I was a little bit cynical as to, you know, maybe was it that bad? But then he started to give data uh, to back up that assertion. And the data was scary, uh, particularly around suicides in workplaces to uh, he was sharing data around the amount of heart attacks and cancers that were directly attributable to the stress that people were under in toxic workplaces. And he gave global perspective too, where um, there was a word called karoshi uh, in Japan, which was uh, death by overworking. And it's actually a reportable on a death cert. It's so prevalent. And I was really surprised by that. And I was saying to myself, wow, we, we should really try and do something to, to make um, workplaces healthier for people. Um, because uh, the truth was that workplaces were actually dangerous places for people to go in a lot of cases. Um, and from a mental perspective, they certainly weren't uh, good for your health. Um, so um, I, I wanted to know, could we maybe uh, do like Great Place to Work had done in the area of trust, but do something similar in the area of healthy workplaces? And that is to provide a, a model and a methodology that organizations could, could work to, which would become a high performance framework, uh, which would look at both the health of the workforce, but also the health of the workplace because what we found was there was a symbiotic relationship between those two things, that the workplace impacted on the workforce, but the workforce also impacted on the workplace. And I suppose that brought us to our overall philosophy that um, you can't actually be a healthy person if you're going into an unhealthy environment every single day. And equally, you can't be a healthy organization if you're full of unhealthy people. So our ambition, uh, was to create an organization which would help to uh, give a framework to organizations to create healthy workplaces full of healthy people. And that's how we developed Healthy Place to Work as an organization. Okay, all those great things make me uh, thinking that uh, I, I, normally I had the same uh, discussion with the previous guest. Uh, nowadays, we have full access to the knowledge. We have access to um, books, in webinars, seminars, uh, papers, whatever. So how is it possible to have this uh, access to, to the knowledge and have leaders and organizations that are creating this kind of uh, environment? What yeah, I mean, I, I suppose, uh, Spiros, we're, we're living in a world where there's just um, maybe too much information so much so that people are slightly overwhelmed and they're getting uh, different views from different people saying that this is the latest greatest thing and you should do this or you should do that and basically what we wanted to do was actually provide um, a framework based on science mm -hmm. and based on the 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 best brains out there in their chosen areas to decide what we should be measuring and what we should be actually getting a number on and data points and that's where we've, we've published our science of well-being and obviously anybody listening today can can download the science of well-being because all the information is there and it it's, uh, gives the robust nature of, of why we're measuring what we're measuring and that's really important um, and for us it was developing a model um, that was relevant that provided information on both the workforce and the workplace that would enable organizations to take action 
So every single thing that we um, deliver back to an organization is actionable. It's not just a simple case of, well, isn't that interesting to have that information? It's actually, no, what can we do as a result of that information? If it's good, if the figures are good, let's you know celebrate it and, and uh, protect it. Um, but if it's not good, let's focus on how we can make it better. And we really believe that we're changing lives all over the world, uh, organization by organization, a team by team, and hopefully leader by leader. Awesome. Uh, in uh, the previous discussion, I remember that you referred to the salutogenesis and the coherence. Mm -hmm. So what are those two things and why do they matter in the, in the workplace? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, when we started out developing the model in uh, 2014, we looked at every other model all over the world and what people were measuring back then. Back then, it was highly focused on um, physical health. That's what most people were doing. There was a little bit of interest in, in um, the whole area of mental health. Um, but we came across work by a guy called Aaron Antonovsky. And to me, it was life changing because Aaron, um, unfortunately, has passed, but um, he did research work and a longitudinal study on women who were in concentration camps during the war. And what he wanted to see was what happened afterwards. Were any of them able to lead in any way normal lives? And, and what he found was that about 33% were able to do just that, live pretty normal lives after being through the horrors that they were through. And what he wanted to figure out was what made those women so resilient in the face of, of such horrors. And what he discovered was that the world was seeing health as the absence of illness. So if I'm not ill, I'm healthy. And what he called that was a very pathogenic approach to health, which is where I'm actually trying to avoid disease. I'm actually trying to reduce my risk factors. And it's all about what I don't want to, to get and what I don't want to be. But what he found about these women was they had what he called a salutogenic orientation, which is that they had discovered what were the things that made them really healthy, and then they became stronger in those areas. So stronger physically, mentally, emotionally, socially, and spiritually. And so this was a really interesting sort of movement to much more the positive rather than the negative. And I suppose when you think about COVID, you know, in a lot of cases, COVID was something that um, we were scared of and we wore masks and uh, we uh, isolated in our homes and we cocooned. And that's where you're dealing with it as a pathogen. But mm -hmm. for some people, if they were strong physically, mentally, socially, emotionally and spiritually, they were able to actually deal with the disease and get through it. Now, I do recognize that there were some people who were fragile in their nature and maybe elderly. And so for those, um, uh, you know, cocooning and the like was the right thing to do. But for most people, if you could actually work to make yourself, your, your immune system strong and be strong physically, mentally, socially, emotionally and spiritually, you had a great chance to overcome the difficulties that COVID brought. But if you extend that to um, your life, what, what interestingly, Aaron Antonovsky um, went through this and he talked fundamentally about stress. And he said that the world oftentimes saw that, you know, people were fine and then suddenly stressful things would happen in their lives. And he said, that's not actually the case. He said, we're all under stress all of the time. Mm -hmm. The only question is, 
are we able to manage the stress or does it have a debilitating effect on our lives? So he said, we're on a spectrum. On one side of the spectrum is ease and on the other side of the spectrum is dis-ease. And basically, we need to know where we are on that spectrum at any moment in time. Okay. And what he actually identified was that those women, what gave them that deep sense of resilience was what he called a deep sense of coherence. And he defined coherence as having three key aspects, comprehensibility, manageability, and meaningfulness. Mm -hmm. So when, when a peak stress moment happens to you in your life, the question is, can you get your head around what's actually happening in your life at that particular moment in time? And can you kind of um, predict a little bit of what's actually going to happen and how it's going to play out? And been able to get your head around it is really important in terms of managing it. So we move on. Then the second piece is the managing piece. So the question is, do you have resources in your life that allow you to get through those peak stress moments? So maybe it might be a network of friends or family who are there to talk through whatever is happening, to give you advice. Or maybe it could be financial um, so that you have a resources that you're not just living week to week, that mm -hmm. you can take a financial hit and you can still actually get through. Or maybe it's a life event and maybe you have a structure and a spirituality in your life that actually allows you to, to you know, go through those moments successfully. And the final area was recognizing that life itself is for most people tough and it is a struggle day to day thankfully there can be moments of joy which make it all worthwhile but the question is is it worth it is it worth the fight and that's where the meaningfulness comes in so if you can get a sense of meaning from what you're doing in this life that's really important and and, and spirits i know there's a lot of talk these days about positive psychology and happiness and the like and i get a little bit frustrated uh, because I talk to younger people and you sort of say, what do you want in your life? And they say, oh, I want to be happy. And honestly, I think that's one of the uh, the scariest sort of things you can possibly do because it's 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 not a possible thing. It's not a, an achievable goal to be happy all of the time. And I personally would really worry about people who are happy all the time because there's so much injustice in the world. And, you know, we're having a war right now in, in Ukraine and the like. That if you're going around with a smile on your face all of the time, you're not in touch with reality. So, you know, the, the world is a tough place to operate in. And I think if we recognize that, I think we're in a better place. So it's not about being happy. It's about, I think, two things. One, having a deep sense of personal satisfaction in who you are as an individual. Mm -hmm. And the second thing is having a deep sense of satisfaction in what you're actually doing with your life. And that kind of brought us then to developing a model that reflects all of those things. And it also helps around preventative health too, which is a, a key area for, for us. So, so one of the things we noticed was that the, the health services all over the world are struggling. And um, demographics are obviously playing against us too. So there's a lot of people in the baby boom who are starting to hit the health services now and they can't cope. And those workers are overwhelmed themselves. And that's a real problem. So the governments of the world are spending an increasing amount of their percentage of, of um, revenue and expenditure on the health service. And that's money that's taken away from other areas. And that can't continue. So we really need to find a solution to make people healthier for longer so they're not hitting the health services sooner. And we believe that the biggest 
opportunity area is the next biggest grouping in society, which is business. And mm -hmm. we're hoping that leaders will step forward to try and look after the health of their people so that they're actually making sure that those people won't be hitting the health services uh, as fast and as often uh, causing chaos. So okay. that's a kind of call to action to, to leaders. But the wonderful thing, Spiros, is that it's actually really good for the businesses too, because um, having healthy people is hugely instrumental in building a resilient, sustainable, high-performance organization. And that's what we've done with the model. And that's why I'm so excited to bring this model all over the world so that we can make it easy for organizations and leaders to make work healthy. That is amazing. And I, I love the, um, the refer to, to, the, to the leaders, the importance of, uh, of the leaders. So why are the leaders so important in helping move the dial in uh, societal health? Yeah, it's, it's, so, it's so important. Um, you know, what we, what we find when we go into workplaces and we say, are you doing anything in this area? Uh, what, generally what we find is they say, oh, yeah, yeah, we're, we're doing um, stuff. <laughs> they often describe it as. Um, but then when we analyze it, we find that it's kind of like tick box. Um, uh, it's very superficial. It's oftentimes tactical. It's event based. It's kind of programmatic. It sits with HR and it's about absence and illness, right? And we find that that has limited success. When you really want success in an organization, the CEO and the C-suite have to be passionate about making the organization a healthy place to work, okay? So when they understand and they correlate the performance of the organization with the health of the people, that's when it comes alive. When they sort of see, actually, you know something, this is the most important thing that will drive our success mm -hmm. is if our people are healthy. And what we find, there's two statements that are really important. One is that leaders in this organization really care about my health and well-being. Now, if that statement is scored low by the majority of the workforce, generally, Statements around organization, about leadership and performance are equally quite negative. Whereas if people score that high and say, yes, the leaders in this organization do care about my health and well-being, well, then a lot of other statements that relate to performance, productivity, demands and general organization and leadership are actually very high. So the correlation is huge. So leaders need to convince people that they care about their health. And they can only do that by actually measuring, monitoring and managing the health of the workforce and the workplace. The second piece that's important for leadership is the statement that says, are the role models, uh, are the leaders role models for healthy behaviors? And this is important because being a role model isn't about turning up and um, making a speech. Uh, it's about how you live your life on a constant basis. This isn't about sort of a, a leader having to get into Lycra and, uh, you know, run a marathon. This is about how you operate the business on a constant basis. So if there's sort of, you know, constant uh, a toxic environment and a toxic culture in the organization, if um, inappropriate behaviors are accepted in the organization, 
if there's politics and fighting and backstabbing going on at the senior levels in the organization, that's not healthy. So if you want to be a role model for healthy behaviors, you have to make sure that you've got a, a healthy culture in the organization. You've got to make sure that it's free from bullying, that it's not toxic, that practices are put in place to ensure that justice is there, that people are treated in the right way, and that behaviors, that there's a, a, a set of values that you live by every single day. And when people cross those values and cross those behaviors and act in a way that's not consistent with those behaviors, that it's dealt with and that they know very clearly that that's unacceptable in this organization. Okay. So leadership is so, so important in terms of um, developing an organization that is really a healthy place to work. And that's why what we see is the leaders, if leaders care about anything in an organization, they get a number because they want to be able to measure it. So if they care about turnover, they want a number for turnover. If they care about profit, they want a number for profit. If they care about the turnover of staff or retention, they have numbers. So if they care about the health and well-being of their staff, they'll have a number. And that's what we provide them with is a number. So they take a data-driven approach. They want evidence because they want to know where do we have to respond? How do, what are the biggest presenting issues for our people? And how do we respond to those issues? Now, that's when it becomes strategic. And that's okay. what this needs to be. It needs to be a strategic intervention. It's not light, bright, breezy and fluffy. It's not just about awareness building. This is actually saying, what are the biggest issues facing our people right now? And how can we help them solve those issues? All right. That was quite, um, quite fruitful and uh, delightful uh, insights. Uh, tell me something. What about the uh, geographic location of each organization? How does uh, the geographic location uh, creates the different needs uh, according to the well-being and the health of the employers? Well, funnily enough, you know, um, the model itself has sort of four pillars. One is purpose and meaning. The second one is around mental resilience. The third mm -hmm. one is connection, which is really social health. And the final one is physical health. And interestingly enough, you know, there's 21 elements that we measure in those areas. And it doesn't matter where you are in the world. All of those things are critically important. So, for example, um, on the side of individual health, um, your ability to come to work with energy is pretty important. And it doesn't matter where you are in the world. You need energy if you're going to perform. So energy comes from sleep and being able to rest and recover well is universal. Um, being fit, your body and looking after your body and the food you eat and the diet you have and the physical safety of the environment that you're operating in. It doesn't matter where you are in the world. All of those things are universal. Mm -hmm. When it comes to the social health and what we call connections, mm -hmm. you know, support from your manager, that's universal. Everybody needs feedback. Everybody needs to know, am I doing the right thing at the right time? And mm -hmm. um, environments that are free from bullying and where diversity and inclusion can, can thrive, where I can be myself, those things, again, are really important. Where I have peer support, where I have great relationships with the people around me, all of those things matter. In terms of mental resilience, the whole area of, of learning, 
Um, there's so much change going through organizations right now. If you don't believe that you can change and adapt and grow with the organization, you're going to fight that change. And what that means, that'll lead to conflict. And again, that's universal. Uh, the demands that are placed on you, um, are they the right level of demands or are you overwhelmed or underwhelmed? It doesn't matter where you are in the world. You want the right level of demand so you can perform. And what about control? Autonomy is something that we, and, and more so than ever right now, Spiros, this idea that people want flexibility. But more than this being, I want to work from at home, it's I, I want some say in how I do, what I do, where I do it, when I do it, who I do it with. This is a desire that's a fundamental human desire for control. Some people have higher needs in control than others, but everybody likes to have that. Nobody, I don't know anybody who likes to be really micromanaged unless it's the first day in their first job uh, where they have no idea what they're doing. Right? Uh, they, might, they might need a little bit of close direction. But outside of that, people need autonomy and they thrive when they have to, uh, autonomy. And then the final area of that purpose, um, this is about uh, alignment to the organization. One of the things I found from, from years going into organizations is that you meet people and there's a film, I don't know if you know it, Spiros, but it's called Sixth Sense. And there's a little boy and he says, I see dead people. And for me going into workplaces over the years, I, I've seen dead people. I look people in the eyes and I say, how are you? And they say, I hate my job. I hate my role. I hate my manager. I hate the leadership. I hate the culture. I'm going like, why are you still here? And they say, because I need the money. Yeah. And, and what we see is a deep sense of resentment, like as if they feel they're owned by the organization. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's horrible. And, and sometimes the organization wants to get rid of these people. And we meet them six months later in another organization and they're stars because they fit, because they found somewhere where they can be in a great job doing meaningful work with a culture that suits them and reflects their values and personality. And they, they can get a sense of purpose from what they do. So, so that's what we're testing for, whether or not people get into flow on a constant basis, whether or not they're they're grateful that their talents are utilized in the best way in this organization, whether or not there's inspiring leadership that they look up to and that they respect, and whether or not they get that deep sense of purpose and meaning every single day. They leave work tired, but they feel that deep sense of satisfaction that they've contributed something really, really worthwhile. So in answer to your question, all of those things are universal. Now, there are, you know, different uh, issues in different parts of the world. So, um, you know, the data around financial well-being in, in certain parts of the world, you know, when we benchmark the data, um, mm -hmm. financial well-being can be particularly low in uh, particular parts of the world. So there's a lot of worry and concern that people have. Other benchmark data around anxiety and depression ha can be really prevalent in certain areas. In some parts of the world, um, people demand more, um, I think, independence and freedom. So that, that can be pretty interesting. And in other parts of the world, community and, and family uh, is something that people look for in a workplace um, more than uh, other people who just um, see work as something that uh, helps them live their lives. So it's really fascinating when, when we're providing benchmark data uh, specific to countries and then specific to regions of the world. 
uh, that that can be fascinating. But the model, the model is universal. I think everybody wants a healthy place to work. Definitely. Uh, but as the podcast is uh, about VUCA leadership, I would love to you to share with uh, me and with uh, with our guests, with our viewers. I mean, uh, what was the most difficult situation that you had to uh, to manage during your career and your journey uh, as a professional? Wow, I think you know, um, life in in general is is tough. I think the pandemic was pretty difficult for everybody. Um, uh, my daughter actually got particularly sick uh, before the pandemic and we couldn't figure out what it was. And uh, it was actually a, a virus that just um, left her in the same way that it came to her invisibly. But that was a really, really tough time um, because uh, we had to give her 100% support. Um, and so there are moments that, that test you. Uh, but thank God um, everything has worked out for her and she's a, a fit and healthy girl. And regarding the, the, um, the businesses, what was the, the most uh, difficult situation with a uh, with business that you work with that, uh, that was really, really challenging? Yeah, I mean, like, um, I, I've, so you see so many different uh, businesses that uh, have challenges. I mean, one that sticks out to me is an organization, a pharmaceutical industry organization, where everybody was earning really high amounts of money. They were hugely uh, connected to the mission and what they were doing. But a lot of the talent were about to leave. And the reason they were about to leave, leave was because of the demands that were actually placed on them were just too great. And the, the, the ways of working, because they were based in Europe, they were waking up to uh, all of the problems that were coming from their people in Asia, and they were still awake with the people who were in America. So they were stuck in the middle. And um, what they actually had to do was uh, reprioritize at the board level the um, priorities that they were going to take on. And they had to reduce the amount of priorities that they had, and they had to introduce new ways of working. And those people now were actually going to stay because that they had a sustainable um, workplace. But one of the other things that I think was interesting in that workplace was it, it wanted to have a lot of women and gender parity at the board level and at the senior leadership level. But when we talked to a lot of the women, they had no, no interest in going into the senior leadership roles because they weren't willing to sacrifice themselves. And they saw that it was unsustainable work practices at that level. So the organization had to have a big rethink about how they actually, uh, what were they demanding from their people? And that was really important. So now I think it's a more caring organization. It's not a healthy place to work yet, but it's getting there. So I, I think, you know, using the tool was really important for that organization. For sure. But uh, how much time did uh, they, uh, did they spend to bring this change? Oh, that was a 12-month period that they uh, they took the results very seriously mm -hmm. and they affected change very fast because they didn't want to lose their talented people. That is amazing. The, the 12-month period is a uh, quite fast pace. Absolutely. Uh, good to know uh, because, you know, it is giving, uh, let me say, hope. Uh, last question uh, before yep. we end up for today. Uh, what are the three uh, advices that you would give to uh, new managers uh, that uh, they set the pace and the tone in their uh, departments or to the organization? What are the three key yeah. important advices? 
Um, look after the health of your people, look after the health of your people and look after the health of your people. <laughs> uh, <laughs> honestly, um, one of the things one organization uh, has done is they've um, now uh, put 50% of the bonus of managers based on the health of their team. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really interesting thing to do. So rather than just saying to your team, how are you? Um, and just moving on then to business results, actually understand that you need to build a really, really strong relationship with people so that they'll be honest with you as to what they're struggling with and where they need support. And if you build that relationship, that's the basis of high performance. And to me, uh, you have to become a brilliant listener. You have to build that trust relationship with the individuals and you have to let them know that their health and well-being is your top priority. Last thing. Tell me a few words about uh, your book. Oh, yeah, the, the book is Make Work Healthy. And, you know, um, I, I've never written a book in my life. This is the first time we're blessed that so many thought leaders like Dave Ulrich and Jeffrey Pfeffer and lots of others, along with a whole load of companies, have actually input into it and given great real life examples. And it's a why to how to guide for organizations to understand how do you become a healthy place to work and uh, we want to move uh, work from being something that can be dangerous um, and that can be the worst part of your life to being something that's uh, really joyous and the best part of your life and allows you to thrive. So, yeah, you can get it uh, online um, on Amazon and everywhere else at the end of this month. And uh, I just love if more people buy that and start the journey to become a healthy place to work. Lovely. So where uh, people can find you, how can they come in contact with you? Yeah, healthyplacetowork.com is where uh, we reside and um, my email address, I have no problem. If people want to contact me directly, john at healthyplacetowork.com. Um, and we've got a podcast too, Work Healthy Podcast, if people want to be inspired there. Um, and we're just on a mission. So we just love more and more people to go on this journey. We'll help you every step of the way. Um, and it's a, a worthwhile journey to go on. And as a leader, it's a fantastic legacy to leave uh, to say that we help to make people healthy. And that also extends to their families, too, because if you're not enjoying your work and it's negatively affecting your health, that tends to affect other people in your life, too. So sure. we we're in a very privileged role as leaders to affect a lot of change in society and in organizations and in families and in people's lives and in their mental health. Uh, so let's let's really grab that opportunity and make the most of it. So amazing insight. So ladies and gentlemen, further uh, more information about where you can find and come in contact with uh, John down to the comments. You, can, you will be also able to find uh, the website of uh, Health Place to Work uh, plus the, uh, the PDF of the science behind well-being and definitely uh, the link to uh, this amazing book. John, thank you for accepting this invitation to jump on this episode together. It was a great honor to have you here and uh, to, to talk with you. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to the next steps and uh, your dreams and your scopes and uh, everything that you want to accomplish with Healthy Place to Work to be done in a recent period. And Spiros, thank, thank you so much because, um, you know, you're hopefully a, an important part of this and I am really looking forward to working with you in Greece and in Cyprus and having a lot of fun along the way because life's too short not to have a lot of fun 
And uh, I should have mentioned people can link in with me too. They can follow me on LinkedIn too. So uh, listen, I, I'm so looking forward to it and uh, a lot of joy and love to, to you and everybody in Greece and in Cyprus. Have a great rest of the day, John. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being here to another VUCA Leadership episode. Looking forward to seeing you to the next one. Bye-bye. <music>